excited to be sharing the word of God with you today. And I just wanted to just freak you out just now. Be very, very loud and right in your face up front. One more quick announcement. This is really a shout out. I want to give a shout out to our Bible quiz team. Came in second yesterday in the entire region of the United States. That's right. And Tabitha Nermal came in second place as the overall quizzers. It's fantastic job. Our, our team partners with another team, and we just are so excited about our crew performing so well. Tabby, shout out to you. Great job. We've been in this new series called From Ashes, and we've been talking about what it means for a life to emerge out of a place that seems impossible for it to emerge from. And as I was thinking about this message this morning, thinking about what I would share with you, I was reminded of a story of uh, something that happened to me a few years ago. I was at a rock climbing facility, um, not one, the one in town here, but one in Florida, and I was climbing up this rock wall. The rock wall was quite high in this particular facility. It went up more than 30 feet in the sky. And so I climb up to the top of this rock wall, and I did it, no problem. I was like showing off, and others, they weren't making it to the top, and so I was feeling really proud of myself because I made it on the first time all the way to the top on a pretty difficult climb. But then I get to the top and I'm on this little self-belay thing. And the self-belay is basically a mechanism that once you get to the top, you just jump off the wall and it lets you float down. But I'd never been on a self-belay before, ever. And so I have to trust this thing that I've never utilized before. Is it going to hold my weight? Sure, I've seen it hold kids, but I'm about 100 pounds heavier than anybody else that's climbing this thing. I don't know if this is going to hold me. Does this thing have a weight limit? Am I over the weight limit? And so I start getting nervous, and I start climbing down, and then the kids start rising me from the floor. Jump! Come on, it'll hold you! And I'm like, I'm not jumping from here! It'll kill me! And then one of the workers comes in and goes, it'll hold you, jump. And I'm like, I'm not jumping from here because if I jump from here, I might jolly well die. And so then the harassment starts ramping up. The kids are actually getting worse and they're sort of egging each other on. Come on, fatty, jump! And like they're making fun of me and all kinds of things. They go, you know what? Don't fat shame me. I'm not that fat. And so anyway, they go, you can do it. Come on! And like they're like really making me feel bad. Finally, I get about 10 feet from the ground, and I think, you know what? If I jump from here, I'll probably be okay. Worse, I'll, I'll twist an ankle. So down I go. I push off, and slowly I sort of drift down to the ground, and everybody starts laughing and cheering, giving me this, like, crazy clap, and I'm going, you know, I didn't need that. And then the worker's just looking at me, goes, I told you to jump. And I'm like, yeah, easy for you to say when you're not 35 feet in the air. And you know what? There was no coming back from that. Every single time I climbed that wall after that, that particular day, it's like I couldn't live it down. Everybody's like, oh, there he goes again. And they're just totally making me feel bad. And I'm like, this is terrible. It really shouldn't do that to people. It's wrong. And this is sort of the way I feel like we are in our own lives. There are certain situations it feels like that there's no coming back from. Big stuff. The death of a child the dissolution of a marriage, situations that are harder for us to walk through. And we've bought into sort of the rhetoric, you know, you, you, you'll get better someday, but that will be in the next life, the afterlife with Christ. That's when it'll all get settled. And so we hear stories like that, and because of our human experiences and the difficult things that we've walked through, we believe this to be true to at least to a certain degree, we believe that we're not going to make it out of this, that this is always going to be an impediment. Heck, if you go to an Alcoholics Anonymous thing, the first thing you say when you walk into that meeting is, I am an alcoholic. 
That's what they tell you to do, to own it. To own the impediments of your life. Because that finally is your life. But I wonder sometimes if that's the way it's supposed to be. If what has been or what we've been through is the way that it's always going to be. If there will always be this way that we limp through life. I will never get over this grief. I can never overcome this pain. I can never supersede the moment that I'm in right now because I'm stuck. Scripture intersects with this point pretty well, actually. So there's this situation that happens in the Old Testament. Israel had been kind of rebellious, doing things their own way, not really following God's design for them. And so the Babylonians surround them. And now everybody's trying to figure out what to do, but the king says, we're going to resist them. We've got God on our side, sort of. Even though we haven't been really living God's way, we're going to just hold out as long as we can. The problem was the Babylon, Babylonians were a much, formidable, much more formidable foe than they had thought they were, more than they anticipated. So they surround him. And before long, the siege is effective. They're able to break in to the wall of Israel, and they begin to pursue him. Zedekiah the king during that particular time. He's leaving with his men, but the Babylonians overtake him. They bring him back to Babylon, filled with shame. And the very last thing that he would see with his eyes, his natural eyes, is his two sons being put to death right in front of him. And then the Babylonians put out his eyes. They wanted him to experience this trauma for the rest of his life. They wanted him to experience this situation, this pain, this death, and it forever to be inside of his head if he ever thinks about breaking out of where he is, the prison that he's in. He will always remember this thing. Could anything be more cruel? Could a circumstance be any more difficult to overcome? This is tragic beyond the limits of what we understand tragedy to even mean. Sure, we've heard about horrors and atrocities like this, but admittedly, it's a little bit hard to relate to this, but yet we, in our own human experiences, we all deal with this to some degree. We deal with this. The circumstances we just can't get out of. I can't break out of this funk of depression. I can't break out of the pain that I've suffered. I can't overcome the darkness that I'm facing in my own life. It's here, though, that the prophet hears this message from God. This message that comes really in an unexpected way, an unexpected form. In the middle of their suffering, the prophet begins to announce jubilee as if the siege was over and as if prosperity was going to come again. We record some of this uh, teaching in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 through 4. I'm going to read just a couple of verses of Scripture. And I just want to share for a few moments about what I feel like God is trying to say to us. So the prophet, he writes these words. He sends it with a runner and would be read in verbal proclamation in front of all of the hearing of those that would gather around. And here is the word of the Lord that was spoken to them. Isaiah 61 and verse 1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide 
for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called the oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. So this word comes to them. They hear it. It's the very first time that they've heard a proclamation like this. And there would have been a particular resonance with this, particularly at the point where he says, release from darkness those that are in prison. So the king, King Zedekiah, is in prison at this particular time. And it's dark because he's blind. Israel's leadership had failed. They couldn't have the foresight to see into a different future or live into the covenant promises that God had planned for them. They were supposed to be a unique community, one that was to testify of God's goodness in the midst of godless nations around them and to show that there was one that was supreme above all the gods that they worshiped, the true God, the living God. But they failed to do this, and so they hear this message, and they're sort of stuck in between what this word says and its fulfillment. Here's the thing. Things did get better. There was sort of a release from captivity, but it only had gone so far. They were able to rebuild the ancient city. You read about that in Nehemiah. You see that they reestablished the temple and temple worship. But if we're really truthful, they were still a vassal people, still a second-rate people in a first-rate society. The oppression didn't end with the Babylonians because they were conquered by the Persians, who were then conquered by the Greeks, who were then conquered by the Romans. Fast forward now to the time of Christ, and you have Jesus proclaiming this same message in Luke chapter 4. And he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to proclaim freedom for those in captivity. And then he says this, Today, this word has been fulfilled in your midst. This has happened. And you know what they wanted to do? They wanted to kill him. That's right. They took him to the edge of precipice and we're going to throw him over a cliff, but he slipped through the crowd unharmed from them. But they wanted to kill him. Why? Because we don't believe this, do we? Do we really believe that beauty can in fact come from ashes? That God can, in, instead of mourning, give us praise? Instead of a spirit of gloom and heaviness, an opportunity to have joy? We know what the word says. We know what the gospel teaches. We know the, the message. We've heard it over and over again. But we believe, like they believe, that it doesn't matter. We're still going to somehow remain stuck where we've always been stuck. Somewhere distant, blinded from a different future, hopeless and in despair because we're always going to walk with this impediment. My marriage has struggled. It's always going to struggle. I've always struggled with depression. It's the way that it is. But the illumination of this word actually promises something different. That a new path is possible. 
And when Christ says that this word has been fulfilled in your midst, that right here is an opportunity for new life, and he's unrolling the scroll and reading it before people, you can imagine the shock. Yeah, some testified, oh, look, it's him. And they spoke nice about him. But when he said that this is going to be the way it is, and you're going to say to me, physician, heal yourself, and all of this stuff, they couldn't handle it anymore. Because who has, in fact, believed our message? The prophet Isaiah says in chapter 53, who really believes this stuff? Because our human experience tells us when we go through something that is traumatic or tragic or difficult, that we're always going to be left with these impediments, stuck. And it's somewhere within that fixed mindset, what we've already decided about our circumstance and what the gospel says that where, is where we find ourselves right now. We know what the heralds have proclaimed. We know the good news that's gone forth. But for whatever reason, we can't believe it for us. And this is functionally the problem I see with Christianity in general. Is that we know the good news. We've heard the good news, but we live as if it's untrue. How is it then that we have what Isaiah is testifying, what we all want, this year of jubilee, this year of proclamation, this year of hope that doesn't need to come every 50 years, but announced in the person of Christ showing up right in the middle of that and declaring that, yes, all of this is true and it can happen for you right now. How do we do that? Well, well first, we've got to change our perspective. We've already decided what our life is going to be like. We've already assumed that what we have suffered through is going to be the way that we continue to suffer. The things that we've encountered, the difficulty that we have walked in is going to be the truth about what our experiences are. That mama struggled and grandma struggled and great grandma struggled so I'm going to struggle. But just because mama went through it and grandma went through it doesn't mean that you got to go through it. You can be the pivot point that changes the trajectory of a family. You can be the beginning of new life. But it means that we have to have a prophetic vision based on what the gospel has finally declared for you and for me. That the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us to preach good news. To have a different kind of vision. Martin Luther King Jr. had that vision and he calls the, called the world to see what racial reconciliation could look like and he began to march people towards that vision. We see the same in Mark Buntain and Mother Teresa in Calcutta, a place that was the refuse of the world that people had long discarded and said is without hope. They went and established new hope in that place, building hospitals and universities and began to preach the message of Christ to see transformation happen. Or on the the heels of Francis B. Willard that's in the post-Civil War time and trying to help a nation move forward that was riddled in alcoholism and riddled in oppression, particularly of women, to see and have a vision of a new future. But why did they have it? Because they were touched by what this word says. That there is in fact good news and the hope of a new day and victory for us. But we have to trust that it can be for us the way that God said it can be for us. Each of us have an opportunity to live into the promises of God, but somewhere in the middle of it all, we find ourselves stuck. I was talking to a guy some years ago, and he was telling me a story about his life. 
He'd gone through some terrible circumstances from the time that he was young to the time that he was old. And then he was telling me some story about how he'd gotten thrown out of his apartment because his neighbors were lying on him. And they said he was doing something that he wasn't doing. And then yada, 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 this long story. I said, you know what? I believe that God has something different for you. Tell me about your situation right now. Well, I've got this new place I'm living. I said, oh, that's great. I said, well, how about your neighbors? Oh, I like my neighbors. They're good people. Okay, so how about food? You got plenty of food? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it seems like there's something new happening. I said, let's pray right now that this would be the pivot moment for the rest of your life and believe that God is going to use this as the catalytic uh, change point that everything hinges upon, a whole new future. He said, I want you to pray with me. We prayed together and we believe God. Man, and God's presence was strong. A couple months later, I see him. He's telling me the same old tired story. I said, what happened? I said, is, is your circumstances gotten worse? He says, no, actually they've gotten better. But he began to rehearse all of the terrible things that had happened to him in his past. I said, man, you're gonna have to let go of that past. It's like the comb over of life, man. At some point, you just gotta give it up and just let, let it be what it's gonna be and just enjoy and embrace the move that you got right here and right now. Here, beloved, is the truth of this message. And you know what? Three years later, I had the same conversation with him. And that's so often what I see from folks. They live through the same pain over and over and over again. It was hard enough the first time. They regurgitate that pain time and time again. It was painful the first time, but living through it over and over again, of course you're immobile. You've got to change your perspective. If God says that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us to preach good news to us, to proclaim a year of his favor upon our lives, why is it that we believe that this isn't true? Or at least not true for us. Maybe it's true for someone else, but I can't buy that truth. I like what Oliver Wendell Holmes though, says about this. A person's mind stretched to a new idea never goes back to its original dimensions. When our mind is expanded to what God wants and desires to do through the kingdom of God in our lives to truly encounter the gospel, the good news for us, then we can trust that the Lord is going to do not only awesome things, but better things than you and I can imagine. You know, I'm a social media guy. I like to get on social media. Well, most of the time I like to get on social media. But sometimes social media, it tries me a little bit, you know. You, you, you have, I, I had a post last week. It was viewed by like 5,000 people. That makes me feel good when people comment underneath that and say, you go pastor, that's a good word. Or they retweet something I say or they post, repost something that I shared. I, I think that makes me feel good and I like that. That's really good. But there's always that hater that gets in there. You'll be proclaiming something about good news and that hater will get on and just totally just try to bust up everything that you just said. You know what I mean? Well, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. You should see my life. It's more terrible than this. I can handle that stuff. But then they start the name calling and everything else. And just like, you know what? And then I use my favorite button on the social media tools. Block user. You know what I'm talking about. You block this user. I don't want to hear from this hater eating their hater tops and hater chips. I don't need any of that. I need somebody that can encourage me today. And so we block the user so we don't have to hear what they say. But I wonder sometimes if we end up blocking the wrong user. Sometimes maybe we block God from speaking into our hearts and lives. Here's what I mean. You know, we love scriptures and we'll 
post them on social media, you know, God has taken my sin and cast them as far as the east is from the west. And that sounds great and worthy of retweeting, particularly when we need forgiveness. But then when scripture calls me to forgive, how many times should we forgive? 70 times seven, block. I don't want that. And so sometimes the struggles that we're in are directly connected to our inability to live into kingdom principles. The living into what it is that the gospel calls us to is actually the peace that brings us liberation. Oh, we love verses like Jeremiah 29 and 11. God has given me plans to prosper me, to not to harm me, to give me a hope in a future. The Lord knows my plans. Probably the most quoted scripture on social media out of all of them. But no one wants to hear, then the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Block. Block user. We don't want to hear none of that. And no one wants to really take the context in mind of Jeremiah 29 and 11 that that word of a hope and a future comes to them in the precise place of being overwhelmed by famine and being overwhelmed in a desert at the very same time that they're in captivity in Babylon. This is the message for them. The hope in the future comes to them at a time when the world didn't seem so hopeful. Here, though, it's important for us to understand that God sometimes uses the very things that we hate the most to produce in us the very things that we need the most. He uses the very things that we hate the most to produce in us the very things that we need the most. We need sometimes to go through the struggles because the struggle creates the virtue of kingdom living. But we don't go through the struggle the ways that the world does or without hope. For the believer, they know that they can shout glory over the hundredfold harvest that the scripture talks about. But the same shout come as we are being sent into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Why? Because we know that God is with us and we know that God is producing something through us. And that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. And what does scripture say? That hope does not disappoint. It doesn't. And so it's incumbent upon us to grip the truth that it's the suffering that is producing something, not aimless or pointless, but producing in us the godly character so that we can function in the way that God has called us to function. I like what Valklav Havels writes about concerning this, is that when a truth is not given complete freedom, freedom is not complete. Here's what he means, is that we've got to accept the whole truth of what the gospel says. Yes, there is suffering, but the suffering for the believer always is producing something. And we also know and trust that what this passage, our primary text this morning is teaching us, is not that God binds up the wounds, but that the reason he's binding up the wounds is because he knows that we're going to be wounded. The reason he binds up the wounds of the brokenhearted is because the Lord knows that our hearts would be broken. The reason he's proclaiming freedom to the captives is because he knows that we would be captivated by fear, by depression, by brokenness, by pain. The reason he says that he would liberate us from the, our darkness and, and, and deliver us so that we could have a new life is precisely because he knows that there's going to be some seasons where we can't see our way through it. 
It's here that we need to put on the virtue of our faith and trust that in all these things, God is working something through in in us. And we don't go through them as the world does. We trust with confidence that the impediments that we suffer with today are not going to be as present to us tomorrow because of the hope we have in Christ. That Christ finally can get, help us to get over even the most traumatic things that we could walk through. Even the most broken spaces of our human existence. It's the power of the gospel that meets us here. If not, then what do we teach? Our gospel's as dead as us. But because it is alive, we know that God is working. And just because we're struggling now doesn't mean we always will because of the hope we have in him. I shared this truth with a woman some years ago. I was on an outreach. In fact, I was in a prison, maximum security prison, and it was a women's facility. And this woman, she comes up to me, and she says, you're preaching all this about hope, but how can there be any hope for me in a place like this? I've been here for seven years, and I'm stuck. There's no hope for me to get out at least for another 20. And I said to her, that sounds pretty hopeless. But then I asked her another question. I know that that's what they've said to you, but what is God saying? Do you think that God could work the situation out in such a way that once you learn the lesson of this season, he can bring you through? Well, if there is a God, I guess he could do whatever he wants, she said. I said, there is a God, and I'm going to declare to you something. And I don't know what it was. It was just the spirit of the Lord that rose up inside me. And I gave this woman a prophetic word. I'd never done anything like this before. And, and I don't know that I ever did anything like that since in the prison. And I said to her, I said, by this time next year, you're going to have your papers and you're going to be dismissed from here and you're going to know that there's a God in heaven to do it. Okay, that was a pretty bold thing to say. But hey, she was in prison and I was getting out that day. You know what I mean? I was just good to go. I didn't have to worry about that. <clears throat> but sure enough, we were visiting that prison again and she tracked me down. She found me. I said, said, you know what? That next day, somebody came with me and there was some problem with my case. I'm being released next week. I'm thankful that God allowed me to stay in here just a little bit longer so I could tell this story to you. What is our capacity to believe what this truth actually says about us? You know, we understand that in Christ that we're more than conquerors. Then why do we assume that we must always live in defeat? We believe what the word says or we hear it, that God can do exceedingly and abundant more than we can ask or believe. And yet, why do we live with fettered faith, bounded as if we don't have this hope, this hope of the gospel that visits us at our worst and calls us to our best, that knows the struggles that we're going to have and yet has a path for us to walk through it. Stop blocking God's voice in your life and let him use the moment you have to produce something of hope inside of you. Which brings me to this third point is that you need to believe the good news about you. God has brought you good news that from the ashes of the moments of your life that seem most hopeless, it's there that God says, I want to call forth beauty. It's in the places of our greatest despair that the Lord says, it's here that I want to give you hope. 
It's in these places, not just to deliver, but to issue a final verdict of judgment upon those adversaries. The vengeance of our God is that finally God has spoken to the powers of the age and said, you cannot hold humanity back in the ways that you have in their past because I have announced judgment upon you. There is a path forward of liberation, of peace, and a breakthrough. But we've got to trust that word for us. I can preach it. I can proclaim it. God used his son Christ to do the very same thing. But we ask the same question. Who has believed it? Who has believed the real truth of the gospel? Beloved, I can tell you that it's been at work in my own life. And I can tell you testimony after testimony after testimony of the way that God has used the very principles in this scripture to speak to my life at the most important times. And I've walked through grief. I've seen death. I've been through tragedy. And you know what? The Lord has delivered me from every single one of those things. And he'll do the same for you. This gospel meets us here, church. In this place, in our despair. And so we have to make a decision. Will we trust the word that God has said to us? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Because he has appointed me to preach good news today to the poor. To bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedoms from the captives. And for, to release from prison those that are in darkness. To repair the ruined cities. To give you beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of despair. This is the word of God for us. Why then do we assume that it's not true? It's living into this truth that gives us hope, not just for this moment, but hope for a life that no matter what pain we've gone through, no matter what abuse we've faced, no matter the struggles that we have, it's up to us to apply this virtue to our lives because in doing so, we find peace and help and grace and rest. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. Moses, in his final words to the people of Israel, the people of God, he shared something with them that's very, very powerful and important for us today. He says, you're going to be given a choice, and I'm going to lay that out to you today. And he calls all of the cosmos to bear witness to this word. And this is what he says, this day... I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you. That I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. And that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and full, hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. The mystery of the gospel is that's exactly the way that it strikes us. Not in the places that we already have it together, but the good news reminds us that even in the spaces that we don't, even when there's some dissonance between us and what we feel from God at the moment, we can have the confidence to know that not for a single second were we forsaken. God has already proclaimed his verdict of life over your life. But who has believed his message? Who has trusted in the virtue of what this has spoken? 
It's clearly laid out for us today. But are we going to trust? Are we going to rise up in confidence? Are we going to take bold steps towards healing from the broken spaces that we've encountered in our lives? Are we going to trust the word of the Lord even when the verdict that's been spoken over us by family members rings so hardly against our progress? Will we trust the report of the Lord even when we've received a bad diagnosis, the hopeless place. That's the message of the gospel. The gospel that encounters us today in such a decided way that tells us that we can emerge out of the places of ash and find beauty. I saw this in a woman's life some years ago. Her name was Laura. Laura lost her father very young. And after her father died, her household was filled with abuse until she was 18 and old enough to get out of the house. She couldn't wait to leave, thinking that she'd escaped the pain of the past. She began to try to put together the pieces of the life that had been shattered so. She meets this man, great guy, loved God with all of his heart. They're forming this, this wonderful world together. Married for a couple of years. He was working down in a brick-making furnace. And at 28 years old, had a heart attack. You know, it doesn't seem like sometimes tragedy is unfair. After she'd been through so much, was this necessary? Did she really need this? God, why didn't you intervene? All of those questions are good and fine and ones that we should ask. She certainly was asking him. Things got pretty bad for a while. She had a couple of children, tried marriage again, it didn't work out. She's surveying her life. Now she's living in the projects where I first found her. Wondering, is there any way out? You know, I've tried with all of my strength. I've even tried to pray and I just feel stuck. But she came to this conclusion that she needed to trust the voice of the guide. Like the guide that told me to jump from that high place and that I would be okay. That she needed to completely just trust and just jump into the arms of the Lord. Her guide. Jesus Christ speaking into her life. You can be free of this won't you fully surrender? And like me jumping off the back of that thing and finally just giving in to the trust that this thing was going to catch me, she jumped all in into the grace of God. And you know what she found? She found healing. She found a community of believers that she began to, to network with. And her life became radically new. The encumbrances of the past, the pain that she'd suffered, completely healed and well from. So much so that God used her as a change agent in other people's lives as well. She would often testify of the things that God had delivered her from, the hard things that she'd walked through. And she could testify in faith and with confidence the same word of the, of the psalmist, that the righteous may in fact have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. 
Not a bone of theirs shall be broken. You might suffer, but the way through the suffering is what the gospel teaches. The way through the suffering is the God that bore our shame and suffering on a cross. The way that we overcome is putting our confidence in the one that has made the way and being all in on it and just jumping with all of our trust. Lord, you have me. Can I come back from this? Yeah, you can. You can come back from whatever it is you are hurting with right now. You can come back from any shame that you've suffered through, even your own failures that you have caused for yourself. There's a way back. And it's this word right here, this good news that has come to meet you. The Lord knew you'd be here. And he had you on his heart today. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that in this atmosphere, 